0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here to worship with us at the Vista. As always, we are really glad you've chosen to spend part of your Sunday morning with us. Uh, you are joining us. If you're new to the Vista, you're joining us at a really great time. We're we're starting a new series this morning uh, called "Fakers, Breakers, and Makers." We're going to talk about conflict. Right? I'm sure you all are excited this morning to talk about conflict. Or maybe you know, I'm sure none of you really deal with conflict in your life. Um, but yeah. Some of us do, okay? No, the reality is we all deal with conflict, right? Um, We're all, at the end of the day, we're broken, fallen, sinful people that do life with other broken, fallen, sinful people. And in some ways, our nature is to be selfish and to want what we want. And so as a result, we're going to have conflict. Like no one gets out of life conflict-free. And often it's the people that we're closest to that we have to learn, you know, that wound us the most, right? Because they really know us. That's why marriage is really hard. That's why sometimes families are really hard. That's why, you know, working with certain coworkers or just friends can be really difficult because conflict is an inevitability. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but we thought about, we thought about sort of uh, just tying this on to our last series. The last series we, we uh, just finished was called This is Water. And in that series, we just talked about a lot of the things in life that we are all immersed in, right? They're just uh, things that, that we all sort of have to learn to navigate together. Conflict certainly could have been a part of that series, but the more we, we sort of thought about it, um, we thought, man, the Bible, Jesus in particular, has a lot to say about conflict, about how we are to uh, fight the right way, so to speak, what we're to do in, 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 when it comes to conflict. And so we thought we needed more than just a sermon on conflict and we wanted to make this into a series and so I hope that you'll join us over the next several weeks we're going to try to unpack how do we approach conflict in a a godly biblical way the way Jesus would want us to approach conflict so if you have your Bibles today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. You can turn there. Uh, If you do not have a Bible, I believe we have some back there uh, in front of the sound booth. You're welcome to grab one of those if you would like to. Um, And as always, we'll have the words up here on the giant screen behind me. Uh, While you're turning to Matthew 5, I just wanted to go ahead and reiterate something that uh, I think Austin mentioned on the pre-service announcements. But this Wednesday is our Ash Wednesday service. We would love to have you join us for Ash Wednesday. I believe it's at 6 p.m. Uh, here at the Vista building this Wednesday. Now, again, I know some of you may think like Ash Wednesday, isn't that, isn't that kind of a, something our Catholic friends practice? Uh, isn't that kind of a Catholic thing? Uh, and the answer is yes. I mean, it, it is something our Catholic friends practice, but it's not, it's not just for them, right? It's something that Christians participate in. Uh, in a lot of ways, Ash Wednesday is sort of the kickoff to the Easter season, uh, you know, um, we are excited as Christians. The, the biggest holiday on our calendar is Easter and we get to celebrate resurrection, right? That our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is not in a grave anywhere. He is very much alive and he rules and reigns. But, but here's the thing. Sometimes we just, uh, you know, e- we see Easter coming. It's like Christmas. We, we know it's coming and we just sort of get there and we celebrate Easter and then we, it, we're done. Like it's like a microwave thing. Like we just, yay, Easter, and that's it. And what we want to encourage you to do is to slow down. Through the Easter season, right, to uh, really prepare your heart and be ready. And so before we can be ready for resurrection and to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, we want to take some time and, and do the necessary work of remembering our sinfulness, remembering our fallenness, remembering our mortality. And that's what Ash Wednesday is all about, okay? And, and so, uh, again, we'd love to have you join us uh, this Wednesday here at the Vista Building at 6 o'clock um, to celebrate and to get ready for that. for that. So Matthew 5 uh, is the beginning of what is Jesus' longest block of teaching um, called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest recorded message or sermon that we have from Jesus. Um, and he begins in chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. What he's really doing in this particular sermon is he's talking about how his kingdom is different than the rest of the world, than the, the, the earthly kingdom, if you will. And, and what, he's, what he's doing is talking about what it means to be a, a kingdom citizen, right? Like if... Uh, there are certain characteristics, there's a, there's a, a certain uh, character or uh, makeup of what, what it is to be a kingdom resident or a kingdom citizen in his kingdom. And so he starts out with what we know as the Beatitudes, where he's, where he's talking about sort of characteristics of kingdom people. And right there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, we'll, we'll use this verse as sort of a, a launching point for the whole series. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, verse 9, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus is very clear that residents of his kingdom are to be peacemakers, peacemakers. The reality is when it comes to conflict in your life, uh, there, are, there are really three ways that we can all respond to conflict, right? Uh, hopefully, we will, want, we will desire to be peacemakers the way Christ calls us to um, as kingdom citizens. But let's be honest, sometimes what you, what you have are peace breakers, Right? uh peace breakers are all over the place Peacebreakers peace breakers are the people that you know they're, they're just almost looking for a fight you know they're always looking to cause division and dissension you know everything is a hill to die on and of course they are always right and you are always wrong right you know who i'm talking about peace breakers in fact um paul talks a lot about peace breakers in all of his letters to the new testament churches I think we've said this before, but in just about every single letter Paul writes to the churches in the New Testament, he deals with the issue of unity in the church. Unity in the church among brothers and sisters in Christ was a really, really big deal to Paul. And again, I would remind you that it was difficult because what you had in the early church was, you know, you had uh, a lot of Jewish people that were coming to faith in Jesus, and then you had Gentiles who were coming to faith in Christ, and a lot of the Jewish Christians, they didn't, they didn't think Gentiles should be in the club, right? And so you had racism, you have a lot of the things we deal with today, and there were huge divides in the early church. And so Paul writes a lot about unity. He, you know, People that cause division and dissension in the church, he had some really harsh things to say about them over and over and over. But you know who I'm talking about, the peace breakers, right? One of the things we talk about here to try to make it clear is that Vista, we always, and we go through this in our membership class, we say that a healthy church should have a closed hand and an open hand, right? So in the closed hand, again, we've said this before, there are things that you should fight over. Like, there are hills to die on. There are things that are non-negotiable. Those are things like the doctrine that makes us Orthodox Christians, okay? And so we don't budge on that. We don't negotiate that. Uh, Things like the gospel, Things like the person and work of Jesus Christ, his sacrificial substitutionary death at the cross for our sin, right? The doctrine of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Like there are hills to die on. There are things that we stand firm in, but listen, church, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes in what we call the open hand. The open hand are things that like, it's okay if we disagree on it. Everything doesn't need to be a hill to die on. Everything doesn't need to be a source uh, to argue about. And the peace breakers are the people that die on every hill, right? They're the people that like, everything is a reason to argue, debate, fight, go to war over, leave the church over. Um, Those are the peace breakers, okay? We don't wanna be peace breakers. At the same time, there's another category. And I'll be honest, I've been in the church my whole life. My dad's a pastor. There's a lot of peace fakers out there, right? A lot of peace fakers, I've been guilty of it myself. I think our, uh, when it comes to peace faking, I think that we come from a good place, right? I think that at the end of the day, we think that if we just don't engage in the conflict, that that is going to be more honoring to God, right? We think that, you know what? I don't want to fight about it. I I just want to be a, you know, I want to be at peace. And so I'm just not going to engage in the conflict. And so the problem is, We don't ever have the conversations, we don't ever uh, try to pursue reconciliation, and we just let like anger and bitterness and all the stuff inside sort of eat away at us, and it grows and it festers, right? So you know who the peace fakers are. The peace fakers are the people that will exchange pleasantries with someone. Oh, it's so good to see you. Give them the hug. It's great to see you. And the minute they walk by, you're like, I can't stand that person. They annoy me so much. And you'll gossip about them to your friends, right? It happens. We think that maybe in some way we're honoring God uh, by faking it, and hopefully we'll see today that that in actually doesn't honor God at all. That doesn't honor God at all. What we want to do is we want to be peacemakers. That's what Jesus calls us to, to be peacemakers. So this, this series over the next several weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. How do we be peacemakers? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? And specifically, what does Jesus sort of lay out for us to do in order, in order to do that? All right? All right. So Matthew 5, we'll jump down then to verse 21. My text this morning will be 21 to 26. And these are some of the very first words that Jesus mentions on conflict and resolution. And so we'll jump in. Verse 21, here's what Jesus has to say. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Okay, so that's a that would have been, like, everybody listening in that moment would have been like, amen, right? Like, yeah, we get it. Murder, wrong. Murder, bad. I think we can all agree in here that murder, generally speaking, not a good thing, right? Very, very bad. That's what Jesus says. But Jesus takes it a little bit further. Jesus takes it further. He says this in verse 22. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel and Whoever says, you fool, or uh, in the context curses his brother, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, this, Jesus taking this a little bit further, um, it, it would have it been a little bit shocking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders who were listening to Jesus talk, because the Pharisees, like, like many of us are prone to do, uh, they judged how holy and pious they were and others were solely by their outward actions, Okay. Um, and, and so basically, the, all the laws, all the rules, if you just outwardly obey the rules, obey the laws, do all the right things, avoid all the wrong things, then you were holy and pious and good. If you just don't, you know, murder people, it's fine. I'm not, I'm not a murderer. I'm, I'm good. And Jesus goes, yeah, well, you know, you've heard it said don't murder, but I'm going to tell you, whoever's angry in their heart towards someone else, like it's, they're guilty as well. This is what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. He, he says, you've heard that it was said, and then he follows it by something deeper. Uh, the next one, we don't, we're not gonna get there this morning, but in the in, uh, beginning in verse 27, he talks about adultery. He says, you've heard it was said, don't commit adultery. Again, I think we can all agree that generally speaking, that's bad, right? Like adultery, sinful, wrong. But then he goes, I'm gonna say beyond that, it's, it's about lust in your heart. And so what we learn is in the very first few verses here, is that God is concerned with our our inward self, our inward action, the motives of our heart, not just our outward actions. Are you with me? God's not just concerned with the outward thing that you do, but he's concerned with what's going on on the inside. We've said it this way before, that God is concerned with your heart. God's concerned with your heart. So um, when we talk about conflict, you need to understand God isn't just concerned with external conflict itself, but with the anger and the bitterness in one's heart that leads to the conflict. Are you with me? God's not just concerned with the thing that, that, that um, the, the result, he's concerned with what's going on on the inside. God is concerned about what you really are, not just what you appear to be, right? It's easy to appear to be holy and righteous, but God's concerned with your heart. God's concerned with what's going on on the inside. God's concerned with the, with the motives and the emotions of your heart as well. And so, what Jesus is essentially doing here in these first few verses is he's obviously uh, sort of attacking the idea of being a peace breaker. Obviously, murder and insults and cursing and name calling. And he's concerned with the outward act. Don't be a peace breaker. But he's also concerned with you know, attacking the idea of being a peace faker, right? Somebody that just goes, I'm just not going to mess with it. I'm just going to con- avoid the conversation. I'm going to avoid the conflict. He's saying, no, that's what's going on on the inside, the anger and bitterness you hold onto in your heart is equally concerning to God. And again, this would have been a big deal to the Pharisees that were listening because they, again, they put so much stock in outward appearance. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, um, scripture says that man judges by outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, right? God is after your heart. And so he sets up this really big idea about God being after your heart. And then in verse 23, he uses the conjunction, so. Now, this is really important. When you, when you are looking at scripture, often what you'll see is um, a truth presented, and then there's this conjunction, so, or therefore, right? So in light of the truth that was just established, then there's a practical application or a practical action in light of that truth, Okay. So, he's just talked about the fact that God's concerned with your heart. God's concerned with what's on the inside, not just outward action, but what's going on in here. And so he says, in light of that truth, so if you, verse 23, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. And so this would have been a way they handled a lot of uh, debts and arguments. Eventually it would lead to a court battle and you would go to court. He says, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the very last penny. What we see from Jesus is this that to be a peacemaker, to be a peacemaker means that you are someone who seeks reconciliation when there is conflict, okay? It means that you're someone who at least pursues or seeks after reconciliation when there is conflict. Now we've talked about, con- we've talked about reconciliation and forgiveness before, and we've said it this way. Reconciliation, in order for reconciliation to happen between two people, it takes two people, right? Like, in order for that relationship to be restored, the, the friendship, the relationship, whatever it is, to be renewed, it takes two people. But forgiveness only takes one, right? So, so you can go to someone and you can offer, you can extend forgiveness. They may reject it. They may say, "I don't forgive you." Um, some of you have you've told, I've heard stories. Some of you have tried to seek forgiveness and it's it's not reciprocated. Some of you have tried to to bring reconciliation to the best of your ability, and and they don't want to hear it. They don't want to have it. Listen. The Bible's talking about being a peacemaker means that you do everything in your power to pursue and seek reconciliation. And you can offer forgiveness even if someone else doesn't. You can pursue reconciliation even if it's not extended back to you. But that's what it means to be a peacemaker. So in light of that truth, in light of the fact that Jesus is saying, if you want to be a peacemaker, you be someone that pursues reconciliation, there's a couple of big ideas from from these few verses we just read that I think just sort of jump out to us when it comes to reconciliation all right? The first one is this. The first one is that there seems to be a clear indication from Jesus that we should be the initiators of reconciliation, okay? Seems to be a clear idea from Jesus that we should be the ones that initiate reconciliation. In other words, you don't wait for someone else to to approach you. You don't sit there and go, you know what? I have a problem with them. They have a problem with me. But you know what? Whenever they're ready for reconciliation, here I am. Like, they can come to me if they want to, right? No, the idea is that you be the one that goes after, you be the one that seeks and pursues reconciliation. This really jumped out to me this week. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, if you're going to worship and you remember that you are angry with someone or that you have a problem with someone, then you should leave and go and try to speak. That's not what he says. This is crazy. He says, if you're there and, and you remember that your brother, that someone else has something against you. You see that? Jesus isn't even concerned with whose fault it is. Jesus isn't concerned with with who started it. He's not concerned with whose fault it is. He's saying you be the pursuer as a kingdom person. You be the pursuer, the initiator of reconciliation, right? Whether it's you that, that, that did the wounding or you were the one that was wounded, Whatever it means, if if you know of someone that has a problem, has an issue that is angry, that is bitter towards you, that you do everything in your power to seek reconciliation with them. You don't just wait for someone else to do that. The second really big idea, this is the one I want to spend a little bit of time on, is that there seems to be a very clear indication from the text that, that reconciliation should not be delayed that you should not delay reconciliation. This is what we do sometimes, right? We uh, have an issue, a conflict with somebody or they have an issue or some kind of conflict with us. And we often think, you know what? I don't want to mess with that right now. I don't want to deal with that. I'll deal with it later. We'll let everybody kind of simmer down a little bit and someday down the road, I'll get to that. I'll handle that. We'll work it out. And then what happens? Very rarely problems or conflict that's ignored just works itself out, right? Very rarely does it just work itself out. Usually what happens is it festers and it grows. The anger, the bitterness, the resentment, it just tends to build, right? It robs you of joy. It robs you of peace. Man, it robs you of life. When you withhold forgiveness and reconciliation from someone, you're not getting at them. The situation is getting it, eating at you, right? And so, reconciliation should not be delayed. In fact, Jesus is so big on this idea that you don't delay it that he uses this example of if you're in worship, if you're in worship and you know and you think of someone that has a problem, you you literally leave worship. He's basically saying reconciliation with your brother should come before worship. It's a really powerful idea that reconciliation with others should even come before your worship to God. Now, I want to unpack this for a minute because for a lot of us, when we think of worship, we think about what we're doing right now. We think about the one hour a week that we, we come together as a church, we, we sing some songs, we listen to someone talk for about 20, 30 minutes, and, and, then, and then we're done. And this is the hour a week we sort of reserve for public worship. And so we often will go, Jesus is saying that if, if I'm in a worship service singing my song, and I think about someone that has a problem with me, I need to go make that right. And to be clear, that is what he's saying, but I want you to put it in the, in the Jewish context of, of the way they would have heard it because I think it, it's even deeper when you understand that, okay? So in, in, again, Matthew writes to a Jewish audience. Uh, you often wonder why there's four different gospels, and each gospel, they're similar, and they have some very similar content, but they're also a little bit different. And the reason for that is each gospel was written to a different, a different audience, Matthew's gospel was written primarily to a Jewish audience. That's why there's all, a whole lot more Old Testament quotes in Matthew. Um, that's why he's often talking about the kingdom and the son of man. There's all these different phrases that are, the Jewish people would have understood because he was speaking to a Jewish audience. So when the Jewish person heard Jesus say, if you're at the altar offering your sacrifice and you have a problem, you need to leave your gift there and go make reconciliation, I want you to understand what they would have been thinking. When, a, when someone sinned against God, here's how the system would work. When there was sin against God, what that meant was there was a fracture in the relationship uh, with God. There's a rift that happens in your relationship with God. And so the way you would sort of mend that is ultimately uh, you would need a, a broken heart and a contrite spirit. That's what the Old Testament says. So confession and repentance, right? You come before God, you're sorry for your sin. You acknowledge your sin. There needs to be some, some uh, contrite, humble, uh, confession and repentance that goes on. And then to manifest that in an outward way, you would need to go uh, and get an animal, a, an unblemished spotless animal. And you would need to make your way then to the temple where you could, uh, get in to see the priest who could make a sacrifice for you. So think like the day of atonement, they would have been thinking day of atonement, right? Sacrifices at the altar. This is when all the Jewish people would go to the temple and they would need to bring their sacrifices so the priest could make a sacrifice for their sin. So follow me here, right? You're a Jewish person, worship for you, making the sacrifice at the altar entails first, you go find the sacrifice and it's gotta be the right sacrifice. You can't just drag up any old animal you want. You gotta find an unblemished, spotless animal or you've gotta purchase one, buy one, right? And you bring that animal to the temple. Now, to get into the outer courts of the temple, there probably was not a line. Just about anybody could get into the outer court of the temple. But then you get in there, and there are some lines you have to wait in. There's, a, there's another court you have to wait in. You have to show your credentials, right? Only, only Jewish men could get into that next little area. So you're, you're waiting in line, and the, there's someone there checking, and, and you eventually work your way up, and you, you get into that next area. Well, then there's an even longer line waiting for the priest, got to wait to see the priest only the priest can make the sacrifices for sin so you're waiting in another line you got your animal everybody's kind of got their animals there and you're you're waiting to get up there to the priest and and then you know you finally get up there to the priest the priest has to inspect the sacrifice make sure it's good the priest is going to do everything the priest does hear the confession lay his hands on the animal i mean this is the process so here's what i'm saying no telling how long it would have taken someone to go through this process They didn't have cars. They couldn't just kind of drive up to the temple, right? You got to procure the sacrifice. You got to walk, usually, to the temple. You got to get in through a series of lines. Eventually, you get up there to see the priest to make the sacrifice for your sin. Jesus is saying this to the Jewish audience. I don't care if it's been hours. I don't care if you've waited in line after line after line and you finally get up there to see the priest and he's about to make the sacrifice to fix the rift between you and God. Jesus says, if you realize there's a rift between you and another fellow man, that you literally leave your sacrifice there, and then you go and you make that right. You walk to their house. You, you, don't, you don't text them on your smartphone, right? You, 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 go to, you go to them, and you do everything in your power to bring reconciliation. It's almost as if Jesus is saying this. You settle the rift between man and man before you come in here to try to settle the rift between man and God, Right? You deal with what's going on between between man and man before you come in here with worship and try to deal with what's going on between man and God. Do you see how serious reconciliation is for Jesus? And again, this would not have been something like they've never heard before. In fact, I don't have time to unpack all of the the verses, but you can go to the prophet Isaiah, written hundreds of of years before this, in chapter 1, in chapter 58 of Isaiah, the people are basically trying to do all of their external religious stuff. They're coming to God, they're singing their songs and they're offering their sacrifices and God is angry because God's going, you come in here and you do all your religious stuff, but you don't, like your hearts are far from me. Your hearts are not right with me. God's after the heart, remember? So he's basically getting onto them going, you'll come in here and do all the right religious stuff, but, but, but you don't care about the orphans and the widows and the people that you've wronged and you ripped off. You don't care about the rift between your fellow man, your brothers and sisters, and like, you don't care about any of that, but you'll, you'll come in here and offer some sacrifice and you'll think you're fine. And God, through the prophet Isaiah, is actually getting angry going, you're not fine. It's the same thing Jesus echoes in the Sermon on the Mount. We so often care only about the external thing and God's going, no, I care about the heart. I care about what's going on inside. And so if you're there to fix the rift between man and God in worship and you remember there's a problem, you have a problem with someone else or they have a problem with you, he says, you gotta do everything in your power to bring reconciliation and to make that right. Man, this is a really big deal to Jesus. It's a really big deal to Jesus. Now, I wanna end with this because I know... Man, for some of you, um, this is just a really hard, hard teaching, a hard truth. Like some of you have been wounded deeply. Some of you have been sinned against in some very egregious ways. Um, I've had some of you I mean, sat in my office and just talked about, again, uh, the injustice and the wrong. And so I, I get it. This is not something that's just easy to do. Maybe you've been wounded very, very deeply and you're like, I. I don't know how to offer forgiveness. I don't know how to extend reconciliation to someone that has hurt me, wounded me, sinned against me in such a grievous way. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're the one that's wronged someone. And, man, it would take a lot of humility for you to pick up a phone or to say, hey, can we grab coffee? And for you to actually humble yourself to the point where you go, you know what, man, I I was wrong in that. And I'm sorry. Like, I... I shouldn't have responded that way. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have lashed out. I shouldn't have, that takes a lot of humility to do that. And I know that that's really, really hard to do. And I don't have any super simple, easy answers for you. But here's what I would encourage you to think about and encourage you to remember and pray that this would just give you the courage you need and the strength you need to be able to do that. And that's simply to remember that Jesus is our great example in how to do this. Jesus had every reason in the world to, to not pursue reconciliation. Jesus had every reason in the world to be righteously angry towards you and me. We were enemies of Christ. The Bible's very clear about that. We were enemies of, of Christ. We were sinners. We were rebels against God. And yet Jesus chose to go to a cross to literally lay down and give up his life on a Roman cross to suffer and die in order to bring reconciliation and to pave the way for reconciliation to happen between us and the Father. It's called the gospel, right? We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. I want to share with you just a few verses before we go. Romans 5, verses 10 and 11. Romans 5, verses 10 and 11. Here's what Paul says. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son... Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus pursues reconciliation with us. One more in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. He says, for in him, that is Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's all of us, by the way. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Man, isn't that awesome? You and I were enemies of God. Sinners, rebels, doing evil things. And God had every reason in the world to go, forget them. They're beyond hope. I want nothing to do with them. And yet while we were enemies, Jesus chose to go to a cross and to give up his life on the cross. Jesus chose to pursue reconciliation with us. And so when you think about, man, that person out there that you're like, I just can't, you don't know what they've done to me. I don't but I know what I did to Jesus. You don't know what they've said to me. I don't, but I know that I was an enemy of, God, of, of Christ and he loved me and he forgave me. And that's the same thing that Christ does for you. So again, Christ is our great example. Christ is the pattern by which we learn to be peacemakers. Christ is the example that we follow. And so I know it's not easy, but if we wanna be citizens of God's kingdom, we're told very clearly to be peacemakers. What that means is that we are people that pursue reconciliation it doesn't always work out i wish it did but we we both know that we all know that, that that it doesn't always work sometimes that's rejected but we do everything in our power as peacemakers to be about reconciliation and we don't you know we don't put it off we don't delay and think it'll take care of itself later and we be big enough to be the ones that initiate that let's pray together this morning Father, um, I know that across this room today, there are, um, we're all just kind of wired differently. And I, I know some people, man, some people are just, they're, they're fine with conflict. In fact, they sometimes even seek it out. Conflict does not bother some people at all. And then God, I know there's some others in this room that they literally just avoid conflict at all costs. Lord, we know that regardless of kind of how we're wired, that, that in this life, conflict is, is inevitable. We're gonna have conflict with, with people and so I pray you would just help us to, to learn how to be peacemakers. God, how to be good citizens of your kingdom where we pursue peace, we pursue reconciliation, that we do everything in our power to bring that. So Lord, I pray today that you would just convict us where we have, have wronged and wounded others. You would give us the courage and the strength to, to humble ourselves and seek forgiveness and reconciliation. And God, for for others in this room that I know have been wounded and they've been hurt deeply, I pray that we would follow your example, that we would be able to look to Christ who pursued reconciliation with us even when we were enemies of him. And God, we might find strength in that, that we could leave the vengeance to you, the retaliation, God, to you, the condemnation, God, that's in your hands, and we could be people of peace and be peacemakers. So God, we thank you today for the sacrifice of your son. We thank you that he chose reconciliation with us. That is why we're here. That is why we're forgiven. And so we pray for these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.